0: that water dick poop one ticket to Tokyo please one more. that woman deserves her revenge and we deserve to die
1: no kidding I heard it was kind of hard A silly Caucasian girl likes
0: to play with samurai swords. Yeah. Any more subordinates for me to kill?
1: Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that's sous-cheffing for Sienna Miller. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had Lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died, and we're here to perform the autopsy. I'm your host, Chris File, and I'm here, as always, with my blood-soaked bride, Joe Reed. <laughs>
2: I was gonna say it's your baby, but like that didn't seem quite appropriate. Yeah. Oh god. What? What's a quote? What's a quote that I can pull that isn't like? Do you find me sadistic? Silly rabbit tricks are for kids. Although
1: the opening that this movie is, do you find me sadistic? Is really hard to not you know read as. Tarantino uh commenting to the audience and then giving
2: them the bloodiest movie in sure. the world. Sure. We're going to have to have like Tarantino caveat corner where we just sort of purge the whole thing of like I'm not spending one whole episode asterisk uh perhaps more um are you already spoiling what's coming to uh next
1: week to listeners? Maybe.
2: I think by the time they're listening to this they probably will
1: already know.
2: Who knows what we're Next talking about?
1: Week we find out that our uh, daughter is still alive.
2: <laughs> but um, I, there are there are ways in which people talk about Kill Bill nowadays, where like every thirty seconds they have to be like, "But Quentin Tarantino tried to kill Uma Thurman in a car, and we can't like enjoy this movie anymore." And like, I just want to like get it all out I of the see way.
1: People talking that way about this
2: movie. If I'm anything, I see people talking.
1: Like praise for Uma and that this is actually such a fun fucking movie.
2: It's so fun. It's so fun, and it's also that scene doesn't happen available on streaming,
1: time. which I think helps. But like, did mm-hmm. Quentin Tarantino try to kill Uma
2: Thurman in a car?
1: Yes, we all saw the footage. It's you know shitty and it sucks, and like it's
2: shitty and it sucks. It's video. there's I whatever. Don't don't make me don't make me go down the rabbit hole of like creative relationships and partnerships are complicated. Because, like, I could, but I won't. Um, but we creator, should also say... Creative partnerships
1: uh, are complicated. This is the 20th anniversary of this movie. Which Fuck is yeah, kind is. of why we're doing this today. We thought yes. it would be fun to, uh, you know, talk about... Also, a 2003 movie, which our first
2: miniseries was... I know. The 2003 Year. And... Yes. And this movie dominated the year 2003 in terms of if you were in any way plugged into the movie scene uh, online back in 2003, this was the movie. Remember how I talked about before about how like Batman Forever dominated all the youth focused discourse in 1995? One million percent. That's what this was to anybody who had a, you know, who was on a message board for him. I was trying to think of like what exactly, how exactly did people exist online back in 2003? Like everybody had email addresses. We were past the point of like America online by this point. Sure, sure, sure. sure, But it was still like a good few years pre-Twitter. So I feel like I got most of my movie knowledge around this time from message boards Or like the film experience, or fan
1: sites, etc. You said the former Oscar Watch link, and I thought that that whole entire website had been burned to the ground, like it should be.
2: Here's what I say: like even at the time, I the the tone of It Cool News was too much for me. It was too breathlessly fanboy, too much, and yet I have too too online too, too all of it, but. Very different have than being
1: two online now. Two online. It's now a different. Is it's a different, different flavor of two online. Three, two thousand two, two online.
2: But so I sought out this, and we'll talk about the trailer, the initial teaser trailer for Kill Bill before it was split into two movies in a second, because it's one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, but I do have nostalgia for this era when news was a little harder to come by, and the presentation of it could be so like niche focused like the ain't it cool news people were all sort of like that and then the oscar watch people will were all sort of like that like everybody had their sort of like way in to the conversation and it is not lost on me it is not lost on me that most of the people who were like gatekeepers of these sites you're you're Sasha Stones and your uh what's his face from Harry? The They're all bad. Knowles, Devin Faraci. All of these people are just like bad people who have done bad things and, and support bad causes. And yet there was something to the idea that like this person was at some sort of a screening where right. they leaked The kill bill teaser and nobody else heard about it until he emailed Ain't It Cool News and was like, I have the scoop. And it's just this liminal internet period pre Twitter, pre social media, when like these days that news would stay secret for 0.004 seconds. And not only that, but the leaking, like, Things are also
1: pre-Reddit, reason. we should say, too, because like now That's big. Like yeah. the the way that it these things work, it's like this is what Reddit is now.
2: <laughs> right. And things things that are leaked are always leaked to build a buzz. But in th- but in that day, Buzz built like a sort of smoldering fire where you would get like little wisps of smoke, uh, and then it would sort of like and now it's just like kerosene everywhere and you just throw a match onto it and immediately it's sort of like, you know what I mean? Like and now everything
1: is immediately memed. and
2: uh. Immediately memed. These audiences are, which have always been curated, but are like now curated for the sort of loudest and most, you know, have the biggest social media followings. There was the, this ain't it cool news post that I dug up about the, the Kill Bill teaser literally described the teaser shot for shot which i found both annoying and charming in a way i find a lot of that milieu sort of annoying and charming at the same time but this person also and this is going to annoy the both of us did not know who vivek a fox was they were like it's lucy Lou and daryl hannah and someone else and michael madsen in hell but like i also find it I also find that a little bit, not necessarily charming, but, like, it's interesting that people just had those kind of blind spots. And this blind spot is problematic, probably. Um, but, like, you know what I mean? That, like, they're... Well, especially because it's, like... It was, like, a game most of, of telephone. this stuff
1: was obviously studio plants. So, it's, yes. like, if you're describing a even a teaser trailer, literal shot for shot, like someone gave you access to watch it more than once despite whatever y- you say so it's like the studio couldn't well, tell you who the cast of this movie is
2: but here's the other thing chris is maybe that is true but i there was a time when they would just sneak this shit in front of an audience in austin or an audience in la or like audiences that they knew would be right. like friendly and communicative about it without being quite so overdetermined and doing what you say which is that like we're going to leak you the actual full trailer. Like there was a time when this thing was done a little bit more lo-fi. And I right. find that I do find nostalgia for that moment, which that moment pretty much was 2003
1: So <laughs> um Listen, we who are also annoying and charming, uh <laughs>
2: that's our due
1: patience for uh some of that the the vibe of that era, if not right. the actual source. The people, uh, right. You know. Right. Right. Um, I feel like the Cloverfield teaser was the end of that era, you know, because we heard whispers about the Cloverfield teaser before, you know, Mm -hmm. people actually saw it. And then when people saw it, it was like, this is, you know, it was its own, you know, thing.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: But... This well, and also, the Cloverfield teaser came around in the early days of Twitter. And, like, not to, like, blame all of society's downfalls on Twitter. I'm, like, that meme of, like, society of Twitter never existed. And it's, like, gleaming futurescape and, you know, all this sort of stuff. But, like, it's not necessarily not true. Um, but it did change the way that, like, information could no, could no longer sort of snake its way out of anything. Now it's, like, you know, I don't know. It's too instantaneous. It's too much. It's all too much. Um, Speaking of movies that are all too much, Kill Bill, Volume 1, in the best way possible. Um, And that
1: was how it was received, that this this movie is too much. uh, Even, I think, the highest praise at the time was like, oh, this is just an action movie, or like... I think some people at the time were even correct that, like, this is a superhero movie, Mm -hmm. you know,
2: that's what this is, but, like, it's a good time, but we shouldn't take it that seriously. But it was also criticized for being not enough, in that a lot of people didn't like the fact that it was only part one of a two-part movie, right? and it wasn't a full sort of emotional, the, the emotional journey was not complete, and all of that, and... While I don't disagree with those points sort of academically, I do feel like there are certain movies that you have to judge sort of outside of context. And like Kill Bill and kind of all of the Tarantino movies, you almost have to like judge as special cases in and of themselves because there just is no other movie like Kill Bill, either one of the Kill Bills. And trying to sort of be like, well, you know... I would have liked it better if I had gotten like the full resolution and it's just like well yeah well you get that in 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 part 2 and no other movies are going to sort of just like slice themselves in half this way and you just have to sort of take it as as it comes I don't know
1: I mean I'm going to say this without having watched volume 2 yet or rewatched, I should say. Sure, sure. I do actually think that there's a complete narrative arc to this movie. And I think that there is a. They're very
2: different movies.
1: There is a thematic thread to this movie. And one that yeah. I think, you know, looping back to the things we've been saying so far, I think makes this movie even more fascinating than I was kind of expecting it to be on this rewatch. I don't think I've seen this mm-hmm. movie since college. Oh, um, wow. And. There's a, I think, completed, interesting, and satisfying narrative arc about, you know, this is a revenge movie. But I think Mm -hmm. very much this is a movie that's interested in uh, comeuppance. And the idea that your actions, uh, whether in your own justification or not, will Mm -hmm. uh, come back to roost. And... Yeah, uh, greeting that graciously, and uh, accepting your fate uh, as right. it were. Because I think you even get it in Oren E, who's at the apology moment where she's like, yes. "I'm sorry for making fun of you," and now we have to. Yeah, uh, I you know I have to accept that I did this wrong, right um, in the moment, and here is my apology for it. And now we can move on and keep fighting,
0: um, right. Vernita has the same thing,
2: where she says, Vernita essentially apologizes, and is just like, I wish I hadn't done the thing that I had done to you, but here we are, and now let's plan a knife fight at 2am at the basement. And then she diet. kills her in front of her daughter,
1: and <laughs> immediately sets into this legend of maybe there'll be a Kill Bill Volume 3, because yep. she says to her, uh, if you still feel raw about it, I'll be there, you know, so that you can come and get it. We're
2: about, well, ironically, we're about around the time where that would be, that girl would be, you know, about 30 years old right now. You know what I mean? Like, well, and interesting, interesting. Or like 25, maybe. Uh, Yeah.
1: It is an interesting narrative element that this movie is explicitly about that in the way that you know the culture that this movie was brought into the uh, Weinstein of it all the fact that Mm -hmm. Uma Thurman was in a car accident on the set of this Mm -hmm. movie it all makes it so rich on rewatch in a way that I wasn't expecting and I thought was uh, satisfying in terms of just the movie
2: Let's do our, uh, our our promotions and then we'll talk about the trailers and then we'll get into the plot. How about that? How about we do that? How about that,
1: Joe? How about
2: that? Guess what this we're is off to scariest. the races
1: about, though?
2: Uh, this had Oscar Buzz Turbulent Brilliance. Uh, that, too. Oh, were we going to do Vulture Fantasy League first? <laughs> yes. All right. Okay. Vulture yes, we are Fantasy off to the League. races. The on drafting the Movie Fantasy is league.
1: now closed as of this yes. episode being. Out.
2: I really hope you drafted your team, Garys. I really do. Um, if you were, uh, uh, if you were attempted, if you were suffered an attempted assassination plot by four of your best friends slash coworkers and have been in a coma and missed the drafting of your league, reach out. Let us know. Uh, We will need proof that that is what happened to you and that that is uh, why you missed the deadline, but uh, uh, otherwise, sorry. No need to go to Japan, no need to get a sword. Hatori Hanzo will draft your Vulture movie yeah, fantasy league yeah. team for you just this once, and then never again. Because, however, has, uh,
1: if you did uh, draft your name as Hatori Hanzo, I feel like they should get an automatic oh, ten point bonus.
2: Yeah, no, that's true. That's true. Um,
1: we'll talk to Vulture
2: about it. Please. I need Japanese steel. Why do you need Japanese steel to draft a fantasy league team? Exactly. Um, all right, Chris. They're now we can good. say. Now we can say what movies we've drafted, though, which is my favorite part of promoting the Fantasy League, is sharing. Sharing is caring, sharing is fun. First of all, Chris, I need to know what was your team name?
1: Uh, My team name is Rogowski Crop Top. Uh,
2: Shocking! Shocking!
1: In honor of my favorite costume item of the year from the movie Passages, Franz Rogowski in a Crop Top inspired my
2: team name. So, I have a sad story about my team name. The sad story
1: I, of the umlaut that was not allowed. The
2: umlaut that will never be. Um, I had been hanging on to the team name, the Owls of Gahuler, for a while. I was very excited about it. I knew nobody else was going to do it. I wanted it, I did not want a Barbie name. I God bless you if you chose a Barbie name. I did not want a Barbie name. Um I wonder how many Mojo Dojo Casa Houses will be in this game. <laughs> I can find out.
1: Um Mojo Dojo Casa House uh Casa De Los Babies House.
2: Mojo Dojo Casa House of Blue Leaves. Aha. Uh-huh. Aha. Uh-huh. Um anyway, so I go to enter in uh owls of Gahuler, uh properly pronun- properly uh punctuated with the apostrophe after ga and then uh, the appropriate umlaut over the U in Huler, because that makes it funnier. It just does. Umlauts make things funnier. So I find out that it did not allow me to have special characters in the field, so I had to enter it in as owls. So I considered other things. I was like, well, do I bail on the joke? Because it's not as funny if it's not properly presented. But... I thought about Martha Marcy May December, but I saw that two other people had already chosen that as their team name. Shout out if that is one of you. We clap to listening. you. We clap to you. I thought about Tin Roof Rustin, but nobody ever seems to respond to that joke the way that I want them to, which is um handing me a million dollars and saying it was the funniest joke they've ever yeah. heard. So, I laughed.
1: How dare you? You chuckled.
2: You you politely chuckled. Um Uh, listeners go listen to a b52 song for once in your life okay anyway i decided to to trudge through and not let the perfect be the enemy of the good and so now my team name is the owls of Gahuler. no apostrophe no umlaut just to just picture it there in your head in your mind's eye when you see that team name just put those two little dots over the u and really, put some Bavaria into your you when you see Huler, Sandra Huler, and and you'll be fine. Anyway, anyway, we Chris, what's uh, your we team? have
1: our we have our rosters. Let's hear it. Uh, okay, uh, I said my my name my team name first, so why don't you? Oh,
2: okay. First? So philosophically, I knew I was not going to allow myself to not have Oppenheimer. I saw how much having the Best Picture winner. It was. Well, it was expensive on purpose because I knew that uh, uh, Oppenheimer was the big dog in the yard. But I spent big on Everything Everywhere All at Once last year and that paid off because to win the league last year you had to draft Everything Everywhere All at Once. It won so many awards by the end. I do not know if Oppenheimer will be that much of a steamroller by the end, but if any movie's (sighs) going to be... It's going to be that one. So then I was like, do I do Oppenheimer and then maybe spread the wealth on three or four upper mid-tier picks and then just like fill in a couple cheapies? Or do I try and shoot the moon and do the Barbenheimer double, which would spend which is 50 for Oppenheimer, 25 for Barbie, and leave myself only $25 for six other movies. Uh that was a challenge. Risky. I decided to accept for myself. It's risky. I do I'm think Oppenheimer to know and Barbie. How many
1: people did it.
2: Me too. So I did that. I did Oppenheimer and Barbie, and then with my remaining twenty-five dollars, I got poor things for ten bucks, American Fiction for five. I drafted Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Mutant Mayhem as my uh, animated outsider for three dollars. You know Good movie. Two foreign language movies that have that are their country's selection for international feature. I drafted The Taste of Things, uh, formerly Le Potafou, and Perfect Days, which is my favorite movie out of TIFF. And then with my one dollar remaining, I pulled the trigger and I drafted Dix the Musical, which I do think is going to probably get like one Weirdo Critic Award somewhere. You know what I mean? So um, I think I points. think that's a dollar well spent. Alright, so that's my roster, Chris. Let's hear yours.
1: Alright, I kind of went with, I, because I didn't do the Oppenheimer buy, my uh, roster is a little bit more even in terms of the buying, structure, the buying cost of these movies, which was an yep. intentional strategy. Mm-hmm. I drafted Barbie, I know I'm going to get good points for Hi Barbie. Barbie yeah uh anatomy of a fall which despite not being france's submission i think he has a real good chance at a lot of those other races including best picture i do too yep uh perhaps more risky even though it is the uk's submission uh i even raise an eyebrow to it whatever it's fine the zone of interest zone of interest sure uh poor things did not Mm -hmm. resist that uh low dollar buy I do feel like a lot
2: of people are going to be drafting poor things. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Priscilla, which I feel like is maybe one of my riskier bids, but you never know. You You never
2: never know. know. What is that, $8 or was that a 10 It was $10.
1: Yeah. $10 for Priscilla. I did the $5, (laughs) All of Us Strangers. Nice. Which I feel like is going to pay off if maybe not for things like
2: Best Picture or maybe even Best Actor. Uh, that is an mm-hmm. adapted
1: screenplay, and
2: people are looking for that as the after son of this year, and that is the same price point. So, uh, perhaps we shall see. We shall see. Yeah.
1: Uh, I did do the five dollar American fiction buy, nice. and then uh, closing it out, I did the Boy and the Heron.
2: Ten dollars for the Miyazaki, very good. Feels That's like a, a very... safe bet for every critics' prize for animated feature. Yeah. So, if nothing I, else. You so your most expensive movie was Barbie at twenty five, and your cheapest movie was American Fiction at five dollars. That's the range. Yes, that's not bad. That's Boy an interesting. Boy and the Heron I think, is also five dollars. I think Boy and the Heron is ten, but I could be mistaken. Um. Anyway, actually, I have it right in front of me. I don't know why I have to be coy about a it. All of a Strangers
1: is also a five dollar buy.
2: Yes, 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 yes. Um, Boy and the Heron, boom, but boom, 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 is a. God, that salt burn at 15 is not a. I hope you didn't do that, people. I hope you did not try salt burn That's at 15. That's a risky too much. buy. Boy and the Heron was $10. Yes. So there you go. Oh, there you go. There you go. Um, I like that team, Chris. I like that our strategies are so different. I really went for Stars and Scrubs. You really went for a more balanced team. I'm very interested to track our relative success throughout the season. Going for a balanced team uh,
1: didn't go so well for me last year, but this feels Smarter could be a more balanced balance. year.
2: This could yeah. be a more balanced year. Uh, maybe also by the time you're listening to this, the strike has been resolved, so we'll see. Hey, I fingers s- crossed. We want a fair deal for everyone. As we recorded this, there was a lot of chatter today about, like, maybe the strike could end as soon as today, and I remember I said to somebody, I'm like, if it ends today, I want Warner Brothers to be like, psych, Dune is back into November, because there's still time, there's still two months. uh i want i don't know i want dune back but wouldn't that be funny dune comes back and nobody could buy it for the fantasy league so whoops whoops all right actually no it would be good for the people who did buy dune before it got taken off of the schedule that would be the ultimate upset is if dune came back to the fall schedule and those people who thought they were finished like are now really back in the ball game that would be fun <laughs>
1: Well, that's our rosters. We're going to be giving you weekly updates on the Vulture Movie Fantasy League. That's right. Uh, We're all going to have fun. Uh, I'm so excited. checking out the league name, All of Us Gary. See how you are comparing to your other This Head Oscar Buzz
2: listeners. I'm interested that neither one of us pulled the trigger on the Taylor Swift movie, which was on my short list, but ultimately did not get picked. Yeah, I just, I, I didn't really rely on box office dollars. I just wonder if, like, for that price point, its box office could be just massive. And like, Very I will true. be interested to hear from people who did draft the Taylor Swift, I will say that.
1: If you could draft just to $100 rather than eight slots... My draft lead right. cost ninety five dollars, so oh, okay. if I could have that extra five dollars, I would have mm-hmm. done Taylor Swift and gotten those box office points. but you know
2: yeah I, I I would my spirit would not let me rest if I left any money on the table. so I made sure to spend every last dollar and we'll see how that gets me. We'll see. We'll I don't see know
1: about that as a strategy I gotta say.
2: I mean, but, it's it, it's a strategy based in OCD tendencies, so it's
1: <laughs> fine. We'll have um, many weeks ahead to unpack it. We definitely. hope you're all playing along. If not, yes, uh, you are missing out.
2: Indeed, R-80. Joe.
1: What else do we have sailing right along?
2: Well, sailing right along is this head Oscar buzz turbulent brilliance, which has uh, shoved off from port. And is sailing the high seas for anybody who chose to plunk down $5 a month. They are getting two bonus episodes of This Head Oscar Buzz per month. We are talking about exceptions, which we are calling episodes about movies that fit the general vibe of a This Head Oscar Buzz movie, but it got maybe a couple nominations from the Oscars. And so we weren't able to do it on our flagship podcast. And uh, those episodes have been pretty good by now. We, uh, we've we talked about Nine, we've talked about Pleasantville, we just dropped the Listener's Choice uh, uh, episode that we recorded about the Lovely Bones, which... I will say without uh, humility was a really great episode. I thought we had a lot of fun talking about the bones and
1: October is all about our subscribers. They picked the exception episode and then we're gonna be answering their mailbag questions in a few
2: weeks. That's right. on the 15th, right? the yes. The 15th. yes. Fifteenth, you will be getting a Patreon-exclusive mailbag episode. Uh, Other excursions that we've got up include our uh, report on Chris attending Magic Mike Live, our discussion of the 2016 Actress Roundtable uh, featuring... Uh, Isabel Huppert and her many memes, and just in general, we've got some interesting, we've got some fun plans for the future. I will say, Chris and I are really getting into the spirit of we're we're entering into the holidays, which are a season of giving, and we are very much uh, going to be getting into the spirit of uh, of the season. I would say, right, Chris? Yes, yes. All right, <laughs> it so is go. still September as we record this, but uh... no, listen. Holidays accelerate. We are uh, pumpkin spice was in stores in July, and <laughs> Halloween decorations have been up since August, and Christmas is right around the corner as far as, as, far as your local uh, stores are concerned. So, season of giving, season of giving. Um, if you are interested in, uh, taking part in a season of giving and giving us $5 a month for all this wonderful content, you can sign up for the Patreon at patreon.com slash this Uh, we have a $5 tier for everything that we just talked about. Everything that is available, uh, is available for $5 a month. Do we have any, uh, $100, Sugar Daddy, sugar daddy uh, tier sign is ups? currently all booked up. Is currently booked. All right. Okay. But,
0: but uh,
1: if you wish to be a Sugar Daddy and then eventually have the chance, if you do it for three consecutive months, uh, pick a main feed episode. Yeah. It's uh, not a bad keep keep a deal if you got the slots means. To open. But right. uh, uh, prepare to uh, have those in the coming months possibly.
2: yeah those will be coming too again season of giving season of giving all right um, I don't know why I'm deciding to make that happen what's the Marlo Thomas ad that that is before the movie that used to be before the movies at like do you remember that where like the St. Jude's uh, oh. hospital ah. ads would come and Marlo Thomas would be like it's a season of giving it was always a season of giving good for Marlo Thomas
1: Je- uh, you're Marlo Thomas I'm Jennifer Aniston
2: that's right that's right Ah, what a good duo we are Marla Thomas should be on the morning show. I need to catch up on the morning show because I just am watching all these clips of Nicole Bahari just killing it on that show and I don't oh, want to be I left out. I love her
1: so much. Uh, I know. I, I want better things for her than the demented do. show, we all do. though.
2: Um, no, sometimes that demented show, uh, that's good. It's good to have a demented show out there. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah, I'm into it. I'm but, into it. I'm going to catch up. We want we be this one good shows for Nicole Pari. I like that Bill. you just did the the Italian. Uh, we want uh, we want a good show. I do that with almost everything that I say. Um. <laughs> All right. Um, this had Oscar buzz, turbulent brilliance. Go do it. All right. Back to the episode. Back to Kill Bill. Kill Bill. I want to talk about won. this one. Volume one. Okay, but before it was uh, divided into volumes one and two, I want to talk about this initial teaser because, first of all, as is often the case, the teaser was so much better than the subsequent trailers. But this was this was the era of like Apple uh, Apple movie trailers. Yes, and we've talked about this before, where we would just sort of like ha- go to Apple movie trailers constantly during the day, and just like, if you were me, watching the trailers for The Hours and Adaptation and Chicago... And... Mind you,
1: this is pre-YouTube.
2: Oh, yes, definitely. This is uh, this is pre-YouTube. So, we talked about the Ain't It Cool News report of the Kill Bill trailer, the first Kill Bill trailer, which was uh, released in late 2002, so we weren't even into the year yet. Was, as far as anybody knew, Kill Bill was going to be released as one movie, and... This teaser gets released, and this is the first time it's completely front to back scored by the instrumental guitar solo track Battle Without Honor or Humanity, which you will know if you've ever been to like an NBA game and like the starting lineup has taken the court, um, or or something of that nature. Um, I think maybe the best needle drop in a movie. It's so the needle drop five. occurs in the movie when Oren Ishii and her posse are uh, headed to their little secluded room at the House of Blue Leaves. But in yep. the trailer, it's uh, it's it's right at the beginning. You see the the plane sort of descending into Tokyo, and then like it's so many of these shots from the movie that would become. Just iconic. From like, it's it's very focused on like the Uma tracksuit. The shot at the very end is the thing where they're all surrounding her in the circle, and she pulls pulls back the sword, and they all sort of like lean back. Um, there's scenes that ultimately get cut from both movies altogether. The Michael Jai White scene that ultimately got deleted from Volume Two gets referenced in this trailer. It's just the perfect. I I cannot tell you how excited people were including me at the time when this teaser came out we hadn't had a new tarantino movie in six years by this point with well by the point the teaser came out it was five years because it was late 2002 but since jackie brown um he's six talked about is the longest gap that we've gone
1: without a tarantino movie
2: He's talked about how during that time, that's when he was writing the screenplay for Inglorious Bastards and it had turned into this like behemoth that he could not figure out how to end. And so he put that to the side. He revisited this idea that he and Uma Thurman had together for this sort of revenge epic uh, about a character called the Bride. And he, he, I watched this in an interview that I watched earlier today where he's like, I basically was hoping that Kill Bill would essentially be like a palate cleanser, which would, would sort of like recharge my batteries and let me figure out a way to end <laughs> my Inglorious Bastard script. And he was like, I'll do this quick and dirty and we'll sort of like, you know, we'll make a we'll make this grindhouse movie and and sort of, of course, like Quentin Tarantino's never gonna make anything quick. Like even like you know, uh Death even Proof this is probably like, the it. Which is to so it.
1: much like uh He's vomiting all of this style and pastiche and, like... Reference. Themes and references, and he's, like, getting it all out of its system, and it's huge. And even still, like, as a Grindhouse movie, he doesn't get it all out of his system because he goes and makes a Grindhouse movie next.
2: And (laughs) then he goes and makes Django Unchained and, like, uh, uh, Hateful Eight. Like, there's still so many other things that he hadn't done. Um, But, yeah, this... in terms of style and we'll get into that this uh, after the the plot description but it really is every possible uh uh type of movie that he was obsessed with as a kid that he's referencing but i just think it's so funny that like the intent of kill bill was not this like this was not the epic he had been building to was, and glorious bastards wasn't this was the sort of like uh, small little movie he was going to do <laughs> in between and it becomes this two part giant epic and I like Inglorious Bastards a lot, but like if you're asking me to choose, you know, Kill Bill or Inglorious Bastards, I'm going to choose Kill Bill, particularly Volume One, which this I definitely rewatch.
1: Really, like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say Jackie Brown isn't my favorite Tarantino. Any, it, it it just is like. <laughs> in the (laughs) rewatches, I'm like, this movie's just perfect. It's a fucking perfect movie. But, like, Kill Bill is just like, if your top three Tarantino doesn't have Kill Bill in it, it's probably wrong. Like, yeah, it's so... I don't know. Maybe I just had, like, the experience of this isn't something that I've watched regularly all the time, but, like, I was very hot and heavy for it when it first came out, and... It's been a long time since I've seen it, but, like, it's just so, like, note exquisite. And it's, like, even though at the time it was mm-hmm. reduced to this super violent thing, and it's, like, well, it's right. really violent, and, you know, it's Tarantino, but, like, I guess it's good. No, it's, like, it's it, It's so rich throughout, like, there's moments yeah. that, like, you, you savor basically every moment of this thing, even when it's super gross and
2: like, I remember the first relevant. time I ever saw this movie and I saw it with one of my very good friends who was not who like was the person I went and saw movies with but I was definitely like way more into movies than he was and I just I remember so clearly just from the moment of that title card and the sort of like special presentation like 70s throwback thing all of the times new roman font And then by the time we had gotten like the front to back, bang, bang, my baby shot me down, the Nancy Sinatra version, which like plays completely over the credits, I could already tell that I was so much more into this movie. (laughs) my friend was and I remember by the end he was just like I don't know what I thought about that and I'm like
0: oh ah, so good <laughs> um so
2: that was the uh that was the distinction but god I just remember so vividly those first like 10 minutes and me being like oh this is like nothing and like it's not like Quentin Tarantino hadn't prepared his audience for his style, from Reservoir Dogs to Pulp Fiction to Jackie Brown, and even still, you watch that first ten, fifteen minutes of Kill Bill Volume One, and it's just like I, you know, it's, it's all such an experience. Point.
1: Yes, I saw yeah. this movie opening weekend with my dad, and we were like on cloud nine. I do think that this movie has like the uniting force. Uh, it it has like the juice. To end all conflict between gay and straight men. (laughs) Um, I think we are united in loving this movie. Nice. Um, But it was my father and I. And the cliffhanger of this movie, you know, the final line before the hard cut to black of does she know her daughter is still alive? And then it's like, boom, we'll see you in six months. I left the theater... So angry, like I remember being viscerally angry at that rug pull, and feeling like this was a storyteller who pulled a fast one on me. So, like, completely and you're like, I gotta wait because, till like, April, <laughs> exactly. Um, it. It felt to me like what it must have felt like to people in the 80s with the Luke, I am your father. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Of just like, this is something I hadn't. I got so wrapped up in this story and invested in this character. And yeah. I hadn't even for a moment thought yep. of that as a possibility. And I was. There I, it, was. it took me there a,
2: a minute to not be
1: it suddenly did. so angry I, at this. I
2: point. do remember. More so now, watching it again, I'm like, wow, I was really stupid for not like expecting that, because like, it's like it's such a Chekhov's baby, She's shot right? Shot in the head. Well, sure, but She's then you just with bullets. Sure, but then she, the fact that she survives, kind of tells you what sort of universe we're living in, right? That right, she like right. she, sur- that she survives, that she
1: survives, and like is you know. Uh... Oh. Uh, horrors done to her in her survival in Mm. this coma but also apparently someone has been giving her pedicures uh, the entirety of her coma because we get the tarantino like foot shot and you see
2: you see tarantino's hand coming from off screen with a file and just being like (laughs) with a file and then clear polish the foot Um, stuff is very like like with everything, I feel like the the revelation of the Tarantino foot fetish really like unlocks so much because you go back into all his movies and you're like, there it is, there it there is, there it is, there it is. You're, you're Tarantino or your DiCaprio in uh, Tarantino's own uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, just like pointing to the screen, being like foot fetish, foot, foot, foot. foot Once foot, Upon a foot, Time foot. in Hollywood is like the. Uh...
1: He, the full he's trolling us now well that, by that point, point he knows Molly's that we know foot yeah.
2: squashed
1: against a windshield
2: he knows that we know at that point so it's right, like right. yeah it's, it's a little less fun um, listen go off Quentin get those piggies wiggling um, yeah you know a what good movie it's a good movie I can't wait to get to good it good movie get to it
1: tremendous full. performance that yes I think was kept from an Oscar nomination purely because... Well, two things. Purely because of how violent this movie is. Uh-huh. Yep. But, like, when BAFTA goes and gives this movie five nominations, including hers, it's just like, the Brits are fine with it. Right, what's, right. What's what is your, your problem, America? Angle? What's your deal? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, But I also think... This is going back to our 2003 miniseries from the very origins of our show. And, like, obviously Harvey Weinstein is a horrible person and, you know, all that. But Miramax put all of their energy into
2: Cold Mountain. Mm, I knew you were going to blame Cold Mountain. You're right, too. Yeah.
1: And, like, it, it, yep. we, it, basically that miniseries was also a... a Shadow Cold, Cold Mountain. Cold yeah. Mountain episode. But, like... yep. It's Cold Mountain's fault, like, and I am someone yeah. who's, like, Cold Mountain's a good movie, but, like,
2: I don't <laughs> cut know. To, cut to Chris in his car with a spiral notebook that is just, like, one, Cold Mountain. like <laughs> Two, The Human Stain.
1: <laughs> Three, The Station Agent. Everything on Miramax's slate. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm gonna go and kill those movies and get this uh But... But, like, also, it it sounds weird to say this, and maybe we'll get further into this, but, like, Mm -hmm. as far as the the immediate expected embrace from the Academy to any Tarantino movie that we have at this point, even post-Pulp Fiction... Tarantino wasn't seen that way by the Academy because not now until Inglorious like Bastards. Django Unchained yeah. is as violent as Kill Bill Volume oh, 1 yeah. is. And that movie well, has two Oscars. Like,
2: this is there are. Tarantino's story is interesting because it's a double it's a double unlocking. But there are but like the Coens kind of go through that too. Where the Coens have Fargo, it's their big breakthrough movie, and then The Academy goes back to sort of like thinking that they are niche filmmakers who only really had one little breakthrough and then No Country for Old Men comes along and then they're like, well, now you're really now we're going to sort of, you know, give you first First, write a first refusal of nominations for all of your movies. And that was what it was like with Tarantino with Pulp Fiction. It's this sort of like brash indie breakthrough. The Oscars can sort of look at him as like maybe a one trick pony. And then Inglorious Bastards comes along and they're like, I see. We, you have made a movie about World War II. Come and in, he's all, friend. Yeah, he's doing his thing with like,
1: material that maybe they he can dupe them into being like but it's also about this serious thing because like jango's another example of it and like
2: it is interesting
1: better worse uh, more so worse with that movie
2: but it uh, is interesting that tarantino got back into the oscar's good graces by essentially um making movies about oscar's favorite serious topics, topics, but in a way that, like, gives them the happy ending that history denied them, right? Where it's like, not only am I going to give you a World War II movie, but I'm going to kill Hitler. Not only am I going to give you a movie about American slavery, but I'm going to make sure that the slaves come out winning in the end. Not only am I going to give you a movie about the Manson murders, but, like, we get the best of those Manson family murders, or murders, and it's like, oh, Hollywood's like... all, like, because
1: he... The thing about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that's, like, the Oscar thing, but, like, his version of it is that, like, Mm -hmm. he made a movie about them. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, guess what? You stopped Sharon Tate's murder from happening. Like, (laughs) uh, yeah. I'm being glib. I love that movie.
2: I Um, do, too. No, I love that movie. I love, and even Django Unchained is not my favorite movie, but there are things about Django Unchained that I really, really like. Um, But, no, I
1: less we say the better. Um, I am more
2: or less a big Tarantino fan. I'm looking forward to this movie he's making about maybe Pauline Kale, you know what I mean? Even though uh, everybody no, it's is not
1: going to be about Pauline Kale because it's it's called like the movie critic or something, but he's actually refer it it's come out that the character is male, so it's
2: not Pauline Kale. Oh, uh, well that's less interesting to me, but okay, she will play well, a anyway. supporting character or something. But anyway, I'm a fan of Tarantino even though I, had, I have not liked every one of his movies. I'm a fan. And so um I like that the Oscars have sort of welcomed him back into the fold. I think he's, he makes the Oscars more interesting. I do wish he had not won that screenplay award for Django Unchained, but you know what? We can't right. have everything we want. So, all right. Are we going to have me do this plot description? Because I'm nervous. Let's, let's
1: do it so we can really get into the movie. Yes. Listeners, we're here talking about Kill Bill, Volume 1, written and directed by Quentin Tarantino, starring... The great Uma Thurman, the great Lucy Liu, the great Vivica A. Fox, the great Daryl Hanna, Julie Dreyfus, Sonny Chiba, Chiaki Kiriyama, Michael Parks, Michael Madsen, and the disembodied voice of David Carradine.
2: Yes. You get his face opened. at the end there, right? Don't they, they do they flash back to him? Yeah, you get his face for like, uh, For like half a second. Shot. Yeah. This is, I'm the, the movie I'm opened the wide
1: October 10th, 2003. Happy 20th anniversary. Kill yes. Bill. Yes.
2: Yes. That's that opened crazy. wide. Uh uh No. it was going I was going to have a 1010 10, 321 joke, but that was that's not going to fit. Remember 1010 mm-hmm. 321? 10, the the collect calling uh, apparatus. Did you are you too sure. young to have ever collect called have you? We're going to get real
1: into early 2000s culture if you're bringing out 1010 10, 321.
2: I'm saying though, our Our age difference, I think, makes our experience a little bit different. I do remember wow. going through the high school phase where like I would call my parents collect if I had to get picked up somewhere, like that kind of thing, yeah,
1: and that cost your parents like ten dollars a call
2: <laughs> yes, but I was all it was always that thing where I would always gain points with them because they were very much like. Call us at any time. You know what I mean. I Joseph, think were so if anybody
1: starts smoking at a party, you okay, can call us. collectively. to my we'll credit, I've
2: never you. done that. I've never, I never did the thing where I called and been like, "People are drinking beer. I'm scared. Come get me." <laughs> I never did that. I, I never did that. I was a little bit of a good goody-goody in school, but I was never to that extent. I never so.
1: did that because I
2: never got invited to post. I never <laughs> narked. It, I didn't until, like, my senior year. It took me most of high school to, like, claw my way to the lower rungs of the popular cliques. And so, then you were doing
1: yeah. lines and, you know...
2: Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, Shotgun my out. high school... It was so funny. We were just... we. I think I grew up at the exact perfect time in between heroin culture and rave molly culture so like it was just weed like the only drug that anybody did in my it's high like school i was weed. doing heroin in your nope. catholic weed and history. mushrooms i remember there were like the really like the real big potheads also did mushrooms i never did much i've never done mushrooms actually maybe i should do mushrooms all right uh, yeah, we'll talk offline okay. um join our patreon come come (laughs) along for the joe does mushrooms and watches the lovely bones episode um anyway i'm not promising that caveat caveat i'm not promising that all right um joe would you like to
1: give a 60 second
2: plot description sure it'll probably go over but what the hell
1: all right then your 60 second plot description of kill bill volume one starts now
2: Alright, we're going in order of presentation. Ready? Uma Thurman plays a woman in a bridal in a bridal dress whose bloodied face looks up at the man who's about to kill her and just as he fires the shot, she says, Bill, it's your baby. Bang, bang! And he shoots her down. Post-credits, we're in a brightly colored Pasadena and the bride pulls up in her pussy wagon to the home of Vernita Green, one of the gang of deadly viper assassins who tried to kill her. A vicious knife fight ensues, interrupted by the arrival of Vernita's daughter, which pauses the violence for momentarily until Vernita gets to tries to get the jump on the bride and the bride throws a knife through her heart and the bride crosses Vernita's name off her death list, where she sees she's already crossed seconds. off the name of Oren Ishii because Quentin Went and chopped and screwed the timeline. Next scene, post assassination attempt, the bride is left comatose in a hospital where an eye patched assassin, L Driver, comes to finish her off. Only Bill calls it off at the last minute. And that's where the bride remains for four years with this cretin of an orderly, renting her body out to scumbag rapists until the bride wakes up and has a big cathartic cry for the baby that's no longer in her belly and then bites one rapist lip off, crunches scumbag Buck's head in a doorway, and gets to the business of wiggling that atrophied you big toe. Next, we're to off to Okinawa, <laughs> where she impresses retired sword maker Atari Hanzo with her Japanese to build her one last samurai blade, with which she can bump it a bump bump ba kill Bill. Applause, applause. And then whoosh we're off to Tokyo, though not before getting the anime backstory of Oren, along with uh, another one of her v- deadly viper assassins who rose to power among the Japanese Yakuza. Well, though not without controversy, and she called that controversy with a well timed monologue slash beheading. In Tokyo, the bride announces her presence at the House of Blue Leaves by chopping off the arm of Sophie Fatale, who was Oren's executive assistant, who was also not on the plan to assassinate the bride. This draws out Oren, who unleashes her gang of young Yakuza go getters who get dispatched in quick order by the bride. Teenage Shadus Gogo New Yubari gets a a bit longer, but then she's dispatched, and then it's the whole gang of crazy eighty-eight who surround the bride, and she fends them off, and severs their limbs, and blood sprays everywhere, and it's about eighteen different kung fu movies. A reference as glorious. Then it's out to the Zen garden in the background, where the bride and Oren face off in a one-on-one amid the falling snow and water features, and it's intense. But the bride manages to slice off the top of Oren's head, and then she sends one-armed Sophie back to Bill with a message that she's coming, and she won't stop until they're all dead. Bill ends the movie with the tantalizing notion that the baby's br- baby bride's baby is still alive. At the end. <sighs> with uh, seven minutes 3 over. seconds
1: you would have been a full minute over your 60 seconds I regret that plot description Thank I regret
2: you nothing for your uh, uh comprehensiveness this is the shorter of the two kill Bill movies oh <laughs> <laughs> You would have made five movies.
1: Uh, um, I
2: would have. Listen, was there anything that I said that you would have made me cut? Thank you. Thank you. I agree. Not
1: particularly. Um, Thank you for bringing up the pussy wagon, famously yeah. to be used later. Repurposed. In the and... telephone music video. Yes. Perfect. The telephone music video, which ends with To Be Continued. Where is Telephone Volume 2, Lady Gaga and Beyonce? Did
2: Tarantino direct that video? No. Hmm. That would have been fun.
1: I don't want him to direct a Lady Gaga video. Certainly Do not we ever. want
2: him to direct a Lady Gaga movie? I think she would be great in a Tarantino movie. I mean, she already did Machete Kills. That's a Robert Rodriguez movie. I know Quentin Tarantino's all involved in those movies anyway, but... She's gonna tell
1: us how she went to Stella Adler and watched Takashi Mi- uh, Makita.
2: Honestly, Tekashi Lady Mieke Gaga... Movies. Lady Gaga playing Pauline Kale in a Quentin Tarantino movie, Make It Happen, That's all I'm saying. Sure. That's all I'm saying. Sure. <laughs> sure. Why not? Alright. So um, I said all of those things about the plot. It's a
1: There's good a lot plot. of plot in this movie. There's a lot of plot. It like goes. Like uh much like your plot description, I was like, I'm not jumping in. You're cooking. It's so maybe like Tarantino with this movie.
2: It's it's at most three big set pieces with like little things it's actually two big set pieces with like little interstitials thrown in there there's the opening stuff but like it really is when vernita answers the doorbell and they immediately start fighting that it's just like oh it's fucking on first of all i want to mention vernita's front yard with the Fisher Price slide and the turtle, <laughs> the turtle sandbox, the exact turtle sandbox that I had uh, when when I was a kid, um, tremendous, tremendous detail. But that fight is so fucking
1: cool. so good, so good. It's also the the sequence that you realize that the movie is a secret women's picture. That it is oh, yeah. also a melodrama. And, uh, you know, not that it's like going full circle or anything. That's why that's the
2: scene with like the most saturated colors are in that are in that sequence. You know what I mean? Like that's where everything is the brightest. This movie is enraptured in the faces of its actresses. I want to talk to the person whose job was to hold the giant spray bottle and just spray the both of them with like their so their faces are so fucking sweaty in these scenes. Like every time they cut to a close up and it's like Vivek A. Fox and she looks like she just like came in from a torrential downpour. It's incredible. Cause they're it's instantly incredible.
1: so sweaty.
2: It's great. But like all of that stuff, it's so visceral. It's so like the, the shattering of the glass coffee table and the part at the end when, when, uh, the bride finally gets the knife on her and like the, the walls are splattered with the coffee from the coffee mug that she kicked at her. And then the, and also the blown out cereal box from the
1: cereal the, called Kaboom, called Kaboom cereal. Oh, right, oh yeah. There's right. like,
2: so many Easter eggs, like even just like Death List 5 is a pulp fiction Easter egg. And like the part where uh the bride says that'd be about square, and she like lazily draws the square with her fingers, sort mm-hmm. of the way that uh she does in, in pulp fiction. Like I like that he's self-referential in addition to referencing all these other things. Um, you mentioned the part about Nikki, uh, young young Nikki, uh, walking in at the end, and the bride being like Sia in twenty years, if you want. Um, I don't know. It's just so there. There's that one shot where it's from above where you're sort of like the top got taken off of the the dollhouse and they're looking down on like the kitchen and the sort of the adjacent room there. And you're sort of like just scoping out the geography of the house to figuring out where this this fight is going to ultimately resolve he does such a good job of playing with tension in that scene of like what's going to happen they stopped fighting but they're going to start fighting again soon right it could happen at any moment uh the shot of like the silverware drawer when she opens it and that and then he sort of like takes the temperature up and down as they're talking because they are now having this like pleasant conversation that like turns tense you know, at at these irregular intervals. It's it's a trem- it's very tremendous, funny. tremendous scene. It's so funny. It's so good. It's um and you get a good sense of who these characters were, who they were colleagues who weren't exactly friends, who respect each other enough to, you know, be around each other and and were close enough that the bride feels a sense of betrayal from this woman, but and you can they sense weren't that they like have
1: while you know they m- may not like each other. They operate by the same code, so there is an understanding. There's a shared language there.
2: Well, There's- and you can tell that there are like lingering resentments when is like, "I should have been Black Mamba." Like you should have like it was bullshit that you got to be Black Mamba. Um, so it's like you get a good sense of a relationship that is kind of not easy to draw quickly. Like, it would have been a lot easier to just be like, oh, they were friends. They were best friends, and then she betrayed her. And, and this is a much more sort of uh, particular kind of relationship between the two of them, which I, like, I really love. Um, and you get that with the other ones, too. Elle clearly hated her. <laughs> Elle Driver just, like, couldn't stand her. And Oren kind of looked down on her Interestingly enough, because we get that flashback where Oren gets looked down on for her mixed heritage, right? That's the mm-hmm. scene that leads up to her chopping the guy's head off. And yet Oren looks down on the bride because she's this silly Caucasian girl playing with samurai swords, right? Mm-hmm. So like, all of those things are, a- are added into these moments that exist in the margins between these tremendous fight scenes. And... Which is why, like, I, I people don't really uh, criticize the movies this way, but like, I imagine there were probably some people who would have criticized the movies for being overstuffed or bloated because it was one giant movie that had to get cut into two. But like, there's not a lot of fat in in Kill Bill Volume One. Like, it's a no. pretty lean movie, even if though it anything, has it's maybe the excursions. flashback
1: to seeing the cops at the. Sure. church but like that also is such like kind of necessary texture to and pacing the whole tapestry of it and then of yeah. course we do see more of that of the scene at the actual wedding in kill bill volume two so it's like yeah
0: it... plus
2: you need to get a sense of a span of time happening where the bride was out of the picture. And so you yeah. need to have these back to back sequences where she is unconscious and sort of, you know, out of it. And so you get the part where the cops find her, and then you get the part in the hospital. And then by the time she's awake again, you have at least felt a little bit of an absence of her.
1: You know? Yes, but also. While she's absent from the story, we're getting this uh, where you're, you know, you're getting the texture uh, and the breadth of this horrendous thing that happened to her, and also the violence that stayed happening to her in there in a way that makes you really yeah. invested in her revenge.
2: That, yeah. like, makes you as an audience root for her to kill all these people. Well, and I don't want to hold forth on this movie in a feminist context because, like, I don't have the chops to really like pull that off but it you know it is interesting how much color gets put into this movie along those lines right um, obviously you know her being sexually assaulted in the hospital is like is not a subtle sign about like the ways in which women's bodies are vulnerable to men in you know the world even this person who is this world class assassin right but like it's the like it's the way that like the cop you know, is gross and sexist calling her a tall slice of cocksucker, you know what I mean? When he's you know, uh, peering over her or whatever, and I don't know. Like, I don't know. I'm not sure how much credit I want to give for like Quentin Tarantino creating this like feminist masterpiece.
1: Right, he's still making those things like body and stuff. Like you get that close-up shot of the Vaseline jar with pubes on it. Like, it's It's still, like, that part of it's gross, but, like, I also think it's tonally consistent with everything else, too. So it's, like, I don't necessarily want to fault him for anything on the opposite end of it, in terms of, like, dealing with any of this stuff, too. Because it's, like, he's making a consistent movie Um, that's, like, all maximalism all at you know an 11 or everything is exclamation point in this movie
2: yeah well and there's a way that he plays between tones of brutality and elegance in the action scenes too where like everything in the fight with vernita is very smash like, smash, 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 and yet the choreography of them is so intricate that you can't mm-hmm. help but, like, marveling at that. The part where they're just, like, boom, 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 like, back, 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 back. And you're seeing it all in this one shot, and you're just like, oh, this is, like, insanely intricate fight choreography. And then, obviously, the House of Blue Leaves scene is basically back and forth between these, like ridiculously unrealistic sprays of blood (laughs) from severed (laughs) limbs cut again with like these really well choreographed group fight scenes and then the thing took them
1: two months to film that sequence
2: and then out in the zen garden or whatever where it's this incredibly elegant final battle that is obviously i mean all of those things are a reference to that is a reference to uh, the movie Lady Snowblood, and like all of these scenes have antecedents, and all of these scenes are things right. where Tarantino's pulling from other things. But it's interesting to see what he does with those sort of like hardness and softness in terms of the action scenes
1: well and i think i think that like that dichotomy is integral to like everything in the movie and one of the most impressive things he's pulled off in his career because even if you're just talking yeah. about the violence of the movie it's incredibly like gauche and body, but it's also funny and it's also like human too because some of this violence I mean like the opening violence of the movie when she gets shot in the head is yeah. so like visceral like you can feel it in your body yeah um, but then like you know someone can be <laughs> spraying an entire room because their <laughs> arm got chopped off you know you have uh, yeah. Julie Dreyfus like walking around with both of her arms chopped off just spraying blood around um <laughs> So it's, like, the fact that, like, the movie can have all of those things and still, yeah, you know, make sense tonally. Yes. That, you know, it can go from very real to very stylized, very funny to very tragic. i you know, it's embodied yeah. in basically everything in the movie, even, like, the th- the shifts to animation in this movie, but mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing, if we can, like, zoom out for a second, because we haven't really talked about her yet, is, I, th- I think the thing that maybe makes that work is Uma Thurman's performance, which gets to mm-hmm. also be all of those things, and that moment when she does come out of the coma, and she has, like, this gasping sob, realizing that her child has been dead, even though it's not, is, like tragic in a very human way that pulls us into like an actual like real rooted character that we can root for in this moment and then like go back into these extreme stylizations like you have with the Vivica A. Fox scene.
2: Yeah. I mean Uma Thurman let's let's do a little diversion into Uma Thurman's career because it's obviously incredibly interesting. Her She sort of comes up through these costume dramas in the late 80s she's in the adventures of baron munchausen and dangerous liaisons and henry and june which is like infamous infamous uh it's the this is the first nc-17 right movie henry and june correct um the first thing i ever was aware of her with was a movie called Final Analysis, which is this like (laughs) uh, neo-noir erotic drama with Richard Gere and Kim Basinger. And one of them's the psychiatrist and one of them's the patient. I think she's the psychiatrist and he's a cop who's investigating something don't hold me to that, but Uma Thurman plays Kim Basinger's troubled sister, who's sort of like psychologically troubled. And I don't really know the specifics of it beyond that, but that's the first time I really remember seeing Uma Thurman in anything. She had already, like, Dangerous Liaisons was kind of her big, you know, breakthrough. That was such a, you know, rich cast in that movie. Um, And then she just starts getting cast in Things like Jennifer Eight, where she plays a blind woman who is being stalked by a killer, I want to say. And Andy Garcia, I think, is a cop. Um, Mad Dog and Glory, which is this sort of... Oh you wouldn't the casting is a surprise this is a mobster comedy where the mobster is Bill Murray and the nice guy is Robert De Niro and you wouldn't you would expect it to be the other way and she's sort of the the woman who comes between them um and then Pulp Fiction happened. Oh, sorry. Even Cowgirls Gets the Blues is the Van Sant Disaster. Which the Ghostbound Disaster. And
1: it is definitely a is movie. Is it bad?
2: I've never seen it. It's All I bad. know. It, well, she's got the big thumb, right? That's the yes. movie where she's got the big thumb.
1: You can tell that it is a very faithful adaptation of a very strange uh, novel. Uh huh. It is not a movie that works. And it is very high on its own supply. But, like, you can see how they thought they were making a good movie.
2: Okay. right. I'm curious to see it anyway. It's on my list of movies with overly wordy titles that one of these days I'm gonna, like, watch all of them at once. Like, (laughs) things to do (laughs) in Denver Denver when you're dead. dead. Yeah. But anyway, so 1994 happens. Pulp Fiction. She plays Mia Wallace. She dances with John Travolta. She wakes up from a, a Coma, a drug-induced coma with a, a adrenaline needle in her chest, and uh, she she wants to win that twist contest, and she gets an Oscar nomination, her very first Oscar nomination for this, um, loses to Diane Weist as everybody did that year for Bullets Over Broadway, but that is her, like her, what I imagine people thought was first of many. Oscar right. nominations for Uma Thurman in Pulp Fiction. It remains to date her only one. Um, and then she really starts getting cast in things, right? She's in Beautiful Girls, a movie I watched eight bajillion times. Don't You uh, Dare
1: Skip a Month by the Lake. What if uh, the lake in question was a Hotori Hanzo sword? <laughs>
2: sorry i should not have skipped a month by the lake a month by the lake her follow-up to pulp fiction uh who is it her and vanessa redgrave is that who it is a month by the lake spending a month by the lake all right um you're right what about what if a month by the lake told you the truth about cats and dogs because that is also a movie that she does uh in the wake of pulp fiction gets cast as poison ivy in batman and robin poor timing for her career Because as i
1: told lady freeze when i pulled her plug This is a one-woman show.
2: Okay, I don't want to spend too much time on this. I'm going to give you like 30 seconds to defend that as a good performance.
1: It is a great performance. The, like the, the, how dare you ask me to defend it that performance. She is incredible in that movie. Like there like it, it is an absolute camp performance. Like this is why, you know, we're saying justice for Uma Thurman in times like these because like there is no room for people who understand how to play a camp performance like that anymore. And like obviously it's pitched at a 95. But like it it even even so like i think you you look at something like kill bill volume 1 and like part of its greatness is that she knows how to do these like heightened sure. uh emotion uh heightened uh
2: delivery and uh, such as that i love that you're doing a poison ivy performance as you are defending poison I'm,
1: Ivy. Like. i love her performance as poison ivy
2: I i'm not telling you famous. not to do it do not let me uh uh
1: hide your light under a bushel listeners yet, right? what show meant by you're doing a Poison Ivy performance, oh. is I just took off my gorilla costume and I was dancing <laughs> uh, <laughs> as I was, you know, monologuing about why she's great in that movie.
2: Um, same here as Batman and Robin. She's in a movie called Gattaca that stars uh to my mind, that is a Jude Law vehicle. Jude Law vehicle with Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman also in it. But it is the movie where Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke meet and fall in love and ultimately get married and ultimately have a daughter who grew up to look exactly like her mother. We'll get into it. Um, 1998. She's in two unfortunate unfortunate movies that have the same titles as much more famous movies Uh, she's in the non-musical Les Miserables, she's in the non-Marvel The Avengers and uh, uh, neither one of them, I think those two movies and Batman and Robin together, it was tough she sort of gets uh, shunted down back into costume dramas for a couple years, Sweet and Lowdown Vattel, The Golden Bowl, she's in a couple of low-budge movies uh, with Ethan Hawke uh tape and Chelsea Walls, she's in Paycheck, another bomb. So by the time Killville Kill Bill comes along, Uma's kind of at a low point in her career. She
1: is creeping back up though, because there's the HBO Mira Nair movie Hysterical Blindness.
2: Was that earlier or later in the year? It was though?
1: 2002. But okay. Like because it was on Late TV. 2002. It yeah. straddles this it straddles weird Golden Globes It's Why she won the Globe at the beginning of '03 for the '02 year. Gotcha. And then when Emmys come around that fall, she's she's, eligible for the next Emmys. Yeah, yeah. She's eligible for the next Emmys, but she gets shockingly snubbed after winning the Globe, getting a SAG nomination.
2: She's good in that. Have you ever seen *Hysterical Blindness*? That was when—not in a long time. That was when I had HBO.
1: Three of her other cast members got Emmy nominations for it, including Jenna Rollins and uh, Ben Gazzara, who won.
2: That was one of their big sort of year-end prestige uh, products. I remember them them being very, very high on it. Um, Juliette Lewis is kind of incredible in that, playing her best friend. They're all these sort of like. Jersey girl, they work in a bar, they wear cut-off t-shirts, like, kind of a thing. It's a whole thing. Um, Right
1: ahead of Kill Bill, she has this HBO movie where she's getting the best reviews she's had since Pulp Fiction.
2: That's a good point. And then, so, Kill Bill comes along in the wake of that. So it is sort of... Her career really does take an upswing in that. And I think even people who did not appreciate Kill Bill Volume 1. I think critics, especially mainstream critics, ended up liking Volume 2 a lot more. I think there was a little bit of... They had they were starting to come around on the whole project in general by the time Volume yeah. 2 came around. Um, but I think even people who were sort of more middling on Volume 1 all kind of agreed that Uma Thurman was giving a really incredible performance. Mm-hmm. And... You know, big-time movie star stuff, big-time action star stuff. There was a lot of the reaction that Charlize Theron got after Mad Max Fury Road in this, where it was, you know, oh, I think everyone's... You know how people keep wanting to anoint the new Meg Ryan people, like, for 20 years, they tried to anoint the new Meg Ryan. I feel like there's also that search among genre people to be like... To
1: anoint the new Uma Thurman?
2: Well, I was going to say to anoint the new Sigourney Weaver. Oh, yeah. After the Alien movies. And so Uma was one of those, Charlize was one of those, I think. Um, And she gets nominated for the Golden Globe for Kill Bill, Volume 1. Uh, who was she nominated against, Chris? I know you have it right. She was
1: nominated against a good number of the Oscar nominees. She's nominated against Charlize Theron, who wins. Kate Blanchett for Veronica Guerin. Uh, we should do uh, an episode on Veronica Guerin, especially movies that only exist as a title. We should,
0: because
2: Scar- I would love to talk about Joel Schumacher again.
1: Uh, yes. Actually, no. She's The only Oscar nominee she's nominated against is Charlize Theron, because there's also Scarlett Johansson. The 2003
2: Best Night. Actress year was... Freaking weird and crazy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: Scarlett Johansson, girl with the pearl earring. Nicole Kidman for Cold Mountain, and Evan Rachel Wood for Thirteen. Right.
2: So the ultimate. So no
1: Naomi Watts for Twenty One Grams, who's the only Bafta nominee opposite Uma Thurman, that's an Oscar nominee. Interesting. No Samantha Morton in In America. That was a long,
2: long thing. That like a long road to getting those. Oscar well, and she had been she had been campaigned and supporting early on. So Samantha Morton was a big big surprise. That As meeting. was Keisha Castle Hughes. As was also. Keisha Castle Hughes. Right, exactly. And then it's Diane Keaton who is the sort of representative of comedy. Um, uh, that year, along with, comeback vehicle. Yes, and then Charlize Theron for for Monster the we never knew an actress who could be so beautiful could look so uh could look so scary and also movie. a great performance though. a tremendous performance do not get me wrong i i do not mean to slight the performance but that was how that was sold as an oscar vehicle for sure um 2000 2003 is wild that was the year where at the beginning of the year, before even like that first set photo from Monster came out and sort of changed things around, the expected big contenders were Nicole Kidman, Naomi Watts, and Jennifer Connelly, who was going to be in House of Sand and Fog, which ultimately gets nominations for Ben Kingsley and Shori Agadoshlu, but not for Jennifer Connelly, which I think is a little unfair, because if you like that movie enough to nominate Kingsley and Agadoshlu, and you should, it's a very well-acted movie, I think the acting is better than the movie in a lot of ways. Yes, But Connelly is playing the most difficult character. Like, she's so unsympathetic and she really holds to that line like she does not budge she does not make any false moves to make her more likable to you she is the piece of glass that you step on at the beginning of the movie and you keep fucking digging it deeper and deeper I into your don't foot need as this metaphor that's what happens in the movie wow. do you not remember that part the movie? yeah it does happen but like i saw the movie ah <laughs> okay well, anyway, regardless, I think Jennifer Connelly's incredible in that movie. Yeah, she's
1: really good in that movie. I feel like at the time, people had felt like they had seen that from her before.
2: Sure. She's just so coming off of Requiem for a Dream. Yes. Yeah. That's fair. That's well, fair. And her Oscar win. Also, I don't really quibble with too many of the actual nominees in 03 because I love Samantha Morton in In America, so I do not mind that nomination. I love Diane Keaton. I love Charlize Theron. I don't like 21 Grams, but I think Naomi Watts is doing good work in that movie. And honestly, I feel like an asshole, but like keisha castle uses the one i probably give the boot to you know what i mean because uh you feel like an asshole because you're booting a child a child i an mean adorable I child
1: wouldn't, i wouldn't lose Charlize or diane keaton for anything but like i think uma thurman belongs in that lineup i mean yeah. you it's totally understandable why especially with miramax pushing cold mountain you know like yeah. it was the cure of cancer <laughs> um I mean, truly. Well, and they also had Nicole Kidman in The Human Stain that year, but at this point, uh, The Human Stain wasn't going to go anywhere because it already bombed at TIFF.
2: I could actually imagine a doctor in the times before uh, more Western medicine uh, prescribing people who were sick to, you know, take a trip to a cold mountain and it will... uh,
0: It will cure you.
2: <laughs> so yes, I,
1: I have ready. been um, to a doctor who told me to stand out in the rain and say shit. It's raining. <laughs>
2: um, and and how did you feel after?
0: Uh,
2: better, better. You put your you shed your one tear and put and it in
1: the, a. If I have one tear, it's stole it from a crocodile.
2: Yeah, and you put it in a pot, and it's done.
1: Um, Every bit, right. little bit of this is man's bullshit.
2: See, okay. You could do a whole performance. I had to start at the scene.
1: beginning of the monologue, and then I, okay. I would get there.
2: Okay, all right, all right. Anyway, we can't do another whole episode on Cold Mountain. We can't do <laughs> it. We've done too many. This is the. <laughs> this is why we don't do 2003 movies, because we fall into the Cold Mountain trap every single time. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, want to yeah. talk about Quentin Tarantino for a second. Let's do it. The fourth movie by Quentin Tarantino. It's kind of amazing that he is, by this point, 12 years into his movie career, and this is only his fourth movie. He is, but I think he builds up He builds up a real legend around himself in part because he's only made four movies in this 12-year span. Uh, Reservoir Dogs comes out in 1991. 1991? 92. 92. Um, Very much a part of the wave of American indie film of the early 90s. It's a huge standard-bearer of that. I remember... He has never that, gone back to Sundance since that movie. That's <laughs> a movie that got so much attention for its violence. And kind of mm-hmm. rightly so, Michael Madsen cuts off the ear. There's the like there are scenes where Tim Roth just looks absolutely soaked in blood in that movie, where he's just like, <laughs> just absolutely soaked. Um, and by the end, they're all sort of, they all kind of shoot each other. But that movie also, I think. I think Tarantino doesn't become Tarantino in least in terms of reception without that scene in the diner where they're talking about whether you should tip waitresses and how much you should tip waitresses, because that is then where this incredibly violent movie about gangsters also has this like oasis of really literate um, sort of leisurely paced, like, the movie is in no hurry to get past this scene. And so the characters leisurely, are allowed... but, like, fever-pitched verbiage. Sure. But, like, this is a scene that is, is allowed to sort of, like, unfold at its own pace, and you never quite know how long you're going to spend in these sort of Tarantino dialogue cul-de-sacs, right? And that's what becomes such a charming part. And then that becomes such a big part of... Of the reception to Pulp Fiction, which is another incredibly right. violent movie that ups the creativity, has like ups the reference game, which is something that that Kill Bill shares, but the, also has like
1: structural leap of that movie completely realigned movie storytelling in America. For the next yes. twenty five years,
2: but that's you know? also a movie that has about seven or eight scenes like the diner scene about the waitresses in Reservoir Dogs, where it's the Royale with cheese scene, it's the scene where Travolta and Uma Thurman talk about the five dollar milkshake, it's and him sort of pointing out, well, that's that's Marilyn Monroe and that's Mamie Van Doren and that's you know um, uh, Jane Mansfield in the in the restaurant. There's the scene where. Uh, Christopher Walken <laughs> gives the backstory the, the Watch up to the, the Watch, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, there's the Tim Roth and Amanda Plummer scene. There's the scene where Qu- or where Samuel L. Jackson talks about how he's going to become like Cain and walk the earth. And um, so, Pulp Fiction sort of takes whatever Reservoir Dogs made that splash with and just turns up the volume on all of it, and it's a sensation uh best picture nominee kind of the I've talked about before my oscar origin story being the Forrest Gump pulp fiction dichotomy of 1994 which was so real like it really was the culmination of this whole american indie movement that that you know, arrived at this point where the patron saint of of indie filmmaking, of violence and vulgarity and sex and unapologetic sort of indie filmmaking, comes up against literally a movie that is bathed in nostalgia for the past, is like boomers the movie and it's it's gen x versus boomers in a way that like would have been much more strongly articulated as such today back then I, I don't think the um you know the i don't think boomers were criticized in the way that they are now so i think uh it sort of elided that particular conversation but like Everything you want about the trajectory of American filmmaking in the 1990s can be found in the 1994 Best Picture race. Well, like, and both of
1: those are, like, I, I'm sure the the Gen X Pulp, uh, Pulp Fiction set wouldn't have liked to have had this dubbed upon, you know, their, you know, sway over the culture. But, like, Pulp Fiction versus uh, Forrest Gump, that's monoculture those are two Mm -hmm. monoculture events battling against each other which you never really see and and but the thing about pulp fiction is like it was monoculture in the sense of revolution about it like it, it you know that was a huge movie that movie made a shit ton of money especially for what it was at the time but like
2: yeah
1: the decisive way that it changed everything and people knew that it would change everything and influence everything yeah that's it effectively monoculture
2: oh yeah for sure and, but and like
1: he goes on to make weirder kind of movies than that i mean you could argue that he himself is monoculture but like i don't know if his movies have ever been quite since like kill bill is very weird but i also think jackie brown is such an interesting pivot from pulp fiction in a way that like you could see at the time how it would maybe satisfy nobody in that like if you're coming off of pulp fiction and then you do this essentially character piece that is still violent that is still like creatively you know bounding it's very minor key in all of those things, yeah, and yeah, you know, I think the like more human elements that you can talk about in something that's incredibly stylized, like kill Bill is yeah. there, but like that is the top
2: note of Jackie Brown, Jackie and, like, Brown had to happen, Jackie Brown is the absolutely inevitable come down from Pulp Fiction. And it was always...
1: But it's also, like, you could see how it would annoy people, too, because, like, getting lost in the weeds of Tarantino dialogue, that movie is two and a half hours of being lost in the weeds of its own dialogue. And that's why it's amazing. But, like, it so. brought that like that quality which people might not have not everybody might have liked, they're really gonna hate it about Jackie Brown.
2: Well, and that's the movie where if we talk about it in the, you know, context of our friends at Blank Check, right, that is the movie where he had the blankest of blank checks, where he could really do whatever he wanted and I what would he d- say the
1: hateful eight is that
2: well it is also that i think tarantino's a movie a filmmaker with a couple of blank checks but certainly coming off of pulp fiction i think tarantino is really powerful in terms of the way he can dictate what his next movie is going to be about and it ends up being this sort of ode to pam greer and mm-hmm. the black exploitation movies that he was obviously quite sincerely you know uh you know influenced by i don't think it's a put on for as much as tarantino's uh relationship to race is complicated and not always shines a great light on him but i think he's incredibly sincere about how these black exploitation movies really uh inspired him and influenced him in his career and you see that a lot also in in the kill bill movies um yeah but I think it's interesting that you know Jackie Brown is this sort of almost inevitable uh, you know minor note in in his career, minor note in terms of enthusiasm, when not in terms right. of uh filmmaking prowess because I think you're right. like like so many people say that Jackie Brown is his best, you know, is the best of all of them. and ultimately it it falls flat. and then six years go by, he tries to write. Inglorious Bastards. It's not coming. I've I've read certain things about how aspects of the bride were originally sort of meant for the Melanie Laurent character in mm-hmm. Inglorious Bastards. That that character was going to have more of a sort of vengeance tilt to her. That she was essentially going to be going around knocking off Nazis. Killing Nazis left and right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, And so that ends up getting changed because that uh, becomes the story of The Bride, the sort of the revenge epic for The Bride. And so at some point he puts uh, puts the Inglorious Bastards script to the side and decides to make Kill Bill and it... It's a really interesting... It's definitely a much bigger deal than Jackie Brown was in terms of its influence on the monoculture as it stood. And obviously the monoculture is a different thing in 2003 than it was in 94, but it still exists. And right. Kill Bill was everywhere, as I said. Like, if you were at all into movies in 03, Kill Bill was the thing. That and you were there was the... still plenty of people who absolutely hated it. Yep. Well, expectation was at the highest possible level. You know what I mean. Right. So
1: right, and for a movie that effectively, e- even though you know Miramax was an indie label, it was, I believe, their widest release they had ever done. They were effectively making a studio move, a studio action yes. movie with yes, this. yeah, um, you know. <laughs> you know it's it, you know playing to the widest possible audience that can get to it it's kind of amazing that this movie made as much money as it did yeah because um, even I think by today's Tarantino standards this is an even stranger movie than something like The Hateful Eight
2: um, sure made more money than The Hateful Eight um, piece of shit um, what is his biggest box office success pretty sure it's still Inglorious Bastards. yeah that makes sense that makes sense. It could be um,
1: Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but I think it's in Glorious Bastards.
2: I think one of the things that sort of ex- communicates the the pop culture reach of Volume One is all of the types of awards that it was nominated for. She gets the Golden Globe yeah. nomination. You mentioned the BAFTA. Um, but like it's a huge presence at the MTV Movie Awards. Won
0: obviously. three awards,
2: baby. Which ones? To tell the people, uh, it won
1: best female performance for Uma Thurman, best villain for Lucy Liu. We haven't even talked about her yet. We're we gonna have get to. there, yeah. And it won best fight between the two of them.
2: Okay, let's talk about Justice those two awards.
1: It at least should have been nominated uh, as a double nominee in best fight because Justice for the Vivek Fox fight.
2: Hundred percent. Did I ever tell you about the the website I was writing for in two thousand three? That this was before I had uh, this was Mr. I was Gant- just. What's that? Mr. Yes. Skin? Yes. I was, I was in fact, Mr. That's Skin. the only website that I think existed. Then. <laughs> um, no, it was, uh, just this like little movie news site that was actually an offshoot offshoot of a, uh, uh, professional wrestling fan site. And, um, but they uh, created a movie vertical and I essentially emailed them and I was like, can I write for you? Uh, this was before I was getting paid. I did the thing that people tell you not to do now. I wrote for free. Um, But it was kind of how I learned to write my own little, you know, bullshit for the internet. And I wrote movie news roundups once a week and was essentially, like, given free reign to write whatever I want. There was very little oversight, so I was just sort of, like, putting up. But I did a lot of scouring of... cool news and dark horizons and chud and also so i remember tracking this movie from sort of stem to stern and at the end of the year i was in charge of doing a uh like a all staff awards uh thing where we all sort of chose our best movies of the year and kill bill was so far and away the favorite that like supporting actress was like Lucy Liu and Vivica Fox and uh, Shiaki Koriyama, like all like it was like it was so like weighted towards that. Like it was and it was like that kind of a movie site, right? Where it was sort of it it trafficked in that kind of movie bro, um which is so funny because I'm like the one sort of like gay guy writing for the movie bro site. But um I still have I still have uh, friends from from that time, like people who were like the the people who I could just be like you we 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 sort of get it we get what this place is but like we're cool <laughs> with it kind of a thing. Um, anyway, um, so yeah, Lucy Lou was at least properly rewarded by us and and MTV. So um, who's she up against? I I I'm always I love looking at the competition at these sort of lower awards. Best villain she beats out. The guy in the leather face mask in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, <laughs> a but movie
1: that exists only as a really great and scary trailer, and then the movie itself is dog shit.
2: That movie exists as uh, a, a mental image of Mike Vogel's torso wearing a very dirty white tank top. Like that's exactly. all I can remember. Um, to be more, <laughs> uh, as a gun and a fur coat in <laughs> Charlie's Angels full throttle, and, and we love her for that um jeffrey rush in pirates of the caribbean curse of the black pearl uh you best start believing in ghost stories uh, chris file because you're in one
0: sure.
2: and uh maybe my favorite i still like this lucy the so best good. but like my second favorite of this category Kiefer sutherland as voice on phone in phone booth <laughs> honestly see him
1: at the end of the movie spoiler
2: alert. honestly deserved like he deserved that he was great phone booth great movie <laughs> I will say, yes, Phone Booth is a very good movie. Phone Booth rules. I only get on your case when you're like, Phone Booth, top five Colin Farrell performance of all time. And I get a little bit like, okay. Um, Uh, You mean me? Because you did
1: give me shit for saying that on mic in a previous episode, listeners will attest. And guess who is right?
2: Me. Um, I don't think you're right, but it's still a good movie. I like that. That's fine.
0: All Uh,
1: right.
2: Best right. Fight, it yes. is
1: uh, nominated against bringing down the house between Queen Latifah and Missy Pyle. Sure, never Matrix saw that Reloaded movie. Reloaded for Keanu Reeves and a bunch of Hugo Weaving. The
2: absolute wrong nomination for that movie. Like, any other scene from Matrix Reloaded, I would support. That scene with Neo and a bunch of Agent Smiths is... I, awful get bad that that is the scene it but is the scene i remember it movie? yeah no that that is that scene that's that's what he was nominated for and it's the exact wrong thing nominate the car chase and thus on the highway that they built out in the desert which is one of the great action scenes uh in the matrix movies but uh nominate monica <sighs>
1: bellucci for all the looks she throws at everyone <laughs> versus while
2: she's everyone. eating the orgasm cake yeah yeah exactly tremendous uh
1: okay. Dwayne the Rock Johnson in the Rundown versus something um, Sure. and for X2 uh Hugh Jackman and
2: on, the woman I who played
1: it. Lady Deathstrike um uh I only wrote last names in here and I want to get
0: her first.
2: Name. Yeah, get her whole name. But yeah, it was the it was the the fight between Wolverine <laughs> and Lady Deathstrike where it was like adamantium on adamantium and she had the the fingernails that became the adamantium claws. X2 is a good movie. I know it's it's directed by a terrible person monster but x2 is by far my favorite x-men movie the thing is we can't talk
1: about movies made in 2002 and 2003 (laughs) without being like this is made by a monster um alas are you still looking up
2: i'm still looking sorry
1: i should have written full
2: names kelly who kelly who yes uh good fight good scene um Good movie. Weirdly, I've been falling asleep to the X Men movies, which sounds like uh, damnation. But it, I no, movie, those
1: movies absolutely could put a person to sleep. I think they suck.
2: The movies that I choose to put on uh, on my television as I try to sleep have to be a certain level of. I have to have seen it enough times where I won't try and stay up and like watch it because I like I'm familiar enough that like I know how this goes, but also can't be awful because like i sort of object out of like personal level to like i don't want to just like fall asleep to a bad movie so although i did fall asleep to x-men origins wolverine which is a bad movie but like that was a good one i stayed up long enough to watch troy savan as young wolverine which is the funniest thing Ooh. yes yes what? it's very funny ew. Yeah. Yes, yes ew i know little anyway bone claws coming out of his uh hands yes before we move on to Lucy Liu. Yes. I want to talk
1: about Daryl Hannah in this movie. We'll talk more about Dana- Daryl Hannah next week. Why? But, what are we
2: doing next week? What are we talking about? What are you saying? Uh we're talking about
1: what Splash? was the stripper movie she did. <laughs> I don't well, I don't know if it was a stripper movie, I don't know. No, she did a she did a strip club movie that was released by like Sony Classics. Amazing. Um anyway. Um what i i mean she's one of the reasons why i'm like no you can split this in half because we know that we're going to get back to her yes. in that one scene which i didn't realize until this time that all of the like lines and pockets and such on her yeah. white jacket Trench, are yeah. drawn
2: yes Yes, like they're sharped yes, on. Yes, they're sharped on. I didn't realize, yeah.
1: I must have never. It took
2: that me. It took either. me a few viewings to get that. But yes, yes, incredible. So yeah. fabulous. Also, um, I I'm addicted to a scene where diegetic music becomes non diegetic or 100%. vice versa, and like her whistling the twisted nerve uh, uh, theme, uh, and then it becomes just the soundtrack is so delicious. Uh her look in the in the nurse's uniform with the eye patch with the red cross on it is The so eye good. patch
1: is so fucking cool.
2: Her acting is so funny. She's you're right in that, like she's she's much, much more worth talking about in volume two. I think she's tremendous. She dresses
1: herself as a sexy nurse for no reason nope. other than JBC. If you like. got it,
2: if you got it, flaunt it. Who told us that? Uma Thurman. Um and <laughs> future episode eventually. Future Who episode eventually. All right, let's um, talk about Lucy Lou. Who owns the last 45 minutes of this movie.
1: The funniest element of this movie, because especially that monologue...
2: On the table after she beheads the guy? I
1: don't have committed to memory, but it's like she beheads this guy, and like... very intensely, she's like, I'm gonna speak in English so you know the severity of what I am saying, and then she just gets all sweet, like corporate overlord, yeah, as a joke.
2: If there's if any, unconvinced a particular plan of action I've decided,
0: to it tell it me so. but allow me to, convince you
2: I promise and I to promise you, you right, right here here now, you, no, and subject, will no ever subject will be taboo, taboo. <laughs> except for the subject of my American and Chinese heritage. Uh, and then she's like,
1: What she's like, you have it committed to memory. Bravo for you! Uh, the, the price for which is of, uh, I take your of fucking bringing head. Bringing this subject up, I will collect your fucking head. Yeah, like it's so good. Yeah. If yeah.
0: any of you yeah. sons yeah. of bitches got anything else to say, to say the now, fucking time! time please,
1: please don't use my horrible version of it. Please,
0: just
2: sound so this is post. Um, well sort of mid charlie's angels lucy Lou this is post the first yes. charlie's angels pre the second one just pre the second one um she obviously comes to to note from ally mcbeal were you ever an ally mcbeal person
1: no my grandmother was so i am by osmosis was your um,
2: grandmother vonda shepherd did she just look very good for her age
1: i don't know okay. um Emmy nominee for uh, Allie McBeal. I don't feel like this
2: is discussed enough. Oh, Allie McBeal was an Emmy magnet for a couple of years there. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Um uh, this is also around the time that Samantha Jones became her publicist
2: and got a Birkin in her name, and then Lucy took it back. Controversial moment in Lucy Liu's very real life. Yes. Um Lucy Liu's an interesting actress. She's somebody who I don't always think about because she kind of dips in and out. She's, you know, Lord knows how long she was on Elementary with Johnny e. Lee Miller playing a Lady long Watson, time. but a long time. See, this time. is
1: the thing why like I think we as a culture and we as a gay culture have forsaken Lucy Liu. Uh, however inadvertently, is because she is on a show that mostly straight people watch. And by that, I mean our parents.
2: I would say our grandparents, even. Like, yeah. 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 yeah, Although my grandparents have been dead for quite a while. But yes, in general, um, that is a, yeah, that's a CBS, that's a CBS-y kind of show. But so, okay, so between the Allie McBeal breakthrough, she's in Payback with Mel Gibson, she's in... Uh, play It to the Bone, the boxing movie with Woody Harrelson and Antonio Banderas. She's in Shanghai Noon, which is the first of the Owen Wilson, Jackie Chan comedy, western, kung fu movies. Charlie's Angels in 2000. Of course, the exquisitely titled Ballistics, X versus Sever, which um, <laughs> goes on my I pile. I to see that, apparently. She is tremendous in... Uh, in a scene that it was rumored at one point to have possibly gone to Britney Spears as Kitty go to hell, Kitty in, uh, in Chicago. I don't know how far down the road they got to casting Britney Spears in that, but I, I'm happy with it being Lucy Liu instead.
1: It's on her known
2: for Chicago is on her known for fantastic. Um, yeah, she never quite, I think kill bill, the kill or kill bill volume one, actually, cause she's, she's in volume two, but not really. Um, Kale Bill Volume 1 is definitely the apex of her film career. That and Charlie's Angels, sort of that moment right there. Um, I think she's so good in Volume 1. I think her the way she likes sort of, you know, again, just like volume up, volume down, volume up, volume down. Um, (laughs) The way, the sort of the disdain she has for The Bride... When she's talking about silly Caucasian girl likes to play with samurai swords and, and sort of, you know, uh, writing her off as this dilettante and teacher's pet. Again, you get the sense, you get the sense of what everybody in the Deadly Vipers sort of related to each other as. Obviously, Mm -hmm. after you watch volume two, you can see how much. This resentment was was from her being this sort of like teacher's pet she had slept with Bill, and I imagine the other people <laughs> didn't really uh care for that. She probably got favorable treatment yada 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 um and Oren has this harrowing origin story that is conveyed in this anime sequence this like really this is again like. Nothing's holding Tarantino back in this movie. He's just like, yeah, full on anime sequence. That almost certainly would have been one of the things that had to be cut. You could, out, you could out, see that that is a DVD right. extra waiting to happen of in a one volume Kill Bill movie, right? He said, "I see the Wachowskis have
1: done the Animatrix. That's your animatrix. I'm trying yep. to include the animatrix in my movie, exactly. Um, and that sequence is amazing too. Yeah. I mean, like you can't lose it you wouldn't lose it for the world um but i think lucy Lou on top of being incredibly funny and just like uh uh you know i have a weakness for a woman who slays um <laughs> i i think it also like what you're talking about this dynamic of like condescension towards the bride i think it her performance is part of why this movie, I think this movie is satisfying mm-hmm. as a whole and not a half of a larger story. Yeah. In that, like, the the climax of the movie is the fight with Oren. Yeah. And I think the climax of that scene before, you know, Oren's untimely demise uh, is that... She apologizes to her and then suddenly sees her as an equal. Yes. And you see the bride respond to that. And that, like, I think brings it all together. But, like, in that moment, Lucy Liu is also incredible in this performance that also got to be very silly and, you know, volume up, volume down.
2: I will say this, this thought that just occurred to me just now, which is, it's fortunate that... Tarantino owns the rights to these characters because you can absolutely see a streaming prequel series about the Deadly Vipers. Piece of shit. Yeah, yeah. yeah like yeah, being yeah. pitched to somebody about something, right? Like as a whatever the Yellowstone universe version of the Kill Bill movies.
1: Yeah. No. None of the characters in these movies need to exist anywhere outside of.
2: But these. part of the reason for that is because. I find them so interesting to think about in that way. Like because it's almost it's because I find it so fascinating to think about what their dynamics would have been outside of this movie that I never want to know for sure. You know what I mean? I never right, want right. to have that that taken away from me.
1: But I mean like this is the genius that Tarantino brings to it. There's so much life there that you can imagine it and it's mm-hmm. like Mm -hmm. you you know it it gets to be the tarantino star wars without a billion different star wars things unpacking every little piece until it's all boring yeah and like this movie should never (laughs) have the type of life where it's like you have spin-offs and all right just becomes less interesting
2: Chris, we are creeping up on the two hour mark and we have a IMDB game still to go. I have an idea. Oh. Rather than go over the the our our imagined time limit and test the patience of our listeners, why don't we next week come back with a whole other episode on Kill Bill Volume Two? Perhaps we will do that. Perhaps Maybe. we will do that.
1: We're not, you know.
2: We're not know. promising anything. Are we still being vague? Can what you I'm just saying
1: say? is that our daughter is still alive.
2: <laughs> it's your baby, and she's still alive. Bang bang. Um, any Before last we get thoughts into
1: the IMDb game? Any last though, thoughts we on, talk on volume a one? Bit
2: okay awardsiness for
1: this movie because like looking back this movie actually this is one of those movies that benefited from like all of the different guilds like art directors and costume designers having contemporary films and perhaps a, a like kind of banner example for like when i am someone who says that you know contemporary work should be nominated by the oscars yes this is a perfect example of that i kind of am flabbergasted by the movies that Beat it for contemporary film in its respective guilds. Costume designers guild awarded contemporary costumes to A Mighty Wind. is not
2: a bad call, but New Main this, Street singers were were rocking some duds there. I gotta say, <laughs> I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I don't I hate it
1: either. I wouldn't have voted for it over this. No, I, I agree with you. I agree. With I you. mean, is there a more iconic single costume? In the past twenty years, than the bride's yellow tracksuit, I I can't think of one.
2: It really I mean, is. Maybe it, there is, but it's probably wrong. It really is damning that that even in a in a world where Kill Bill Volume One was not uh, received as a whole. In the way that I would have liked to have seen it received, it's kind of so. Look at the the Oscar nominees in costume design. That was the year where Return of the King won everything. So Nyla Dixon and Richard Taylor end up winning costumes for Lord of the Rings, which I don't know if Fellowship or Two Towers had won costumes. Let's see. It would make
1: sense that Fellowship did.
2: Yeah, Fellowship certainly in two thousand one was winning a bunch. So actually, no. You know why? Who was nominated in 2001 that was never going to lose? Moulin Rouge. Catherine Martin Martin doesn't do losing. Um, So actually, Fellowship of the Ring was nominated, and uh, Two Towers was not even nominated. So fine. So costumes for Lord of the Rings, even though, obviously, I think Kill Bill costumes are even better. But the the sweep's a sweep, and that's fine. Girl with a pearl earring. She was a girl. she had a pearl earring. They were like, We like this pearl earring, good costuming. We'll give you the She nomination. was a boy. He was a painter.
1: Can I make it any more obvious?
2: Nyla Dixon gets a second nomination this year for the last samurai. Snooze. Uh, Master and Commander of the Far Side of the World. Great. Good costumes, sure. Everybody loves it. I gotta see that movie again and decide whether I'm gonna be a bitch about that movie or I will just like shut up and let people it's a enjoy Great movie. It. All right. <laughs> Uh, And then sea biscuits for those jockeys. Those jockeys getting the biscuit. Um, Yeah, Uh, Kill Bill. uh, Come on, come on, guys. I mean, you could also look at categories like best makeup. Like that blood. They didn't pay thousands upon thousands of dollars for gallons of blood for nothing. Um, if if best equals most in some of these tech categories, where were the nominations for Kill Bill Volume 1? Art um,
1: Directors Guild gave it a Contemporary Film nomination. I think this would be a great uh, production design art direction whatever it was being called at the time nomination art
2: direction and costume design were the exact same five films by the way at the oscars that year Return of the snooze. King Girl with the Pearl Earring Last Samurai Master and Commander Sea Biscuits News um art directors guild gave their contemporary film prize
1: to what movie Mystic River why i cast a quizzical
2: eyebrow about they that They just
1: put a fucking camera in in all Southie, of yeah in Southie. jesus like, christ all due respect to that movie's art director
2: i don't um, mind that movie as much as some people seem to mind that movie but still um, most importantly though
1: yeah kill bill it wasn't embraced by the academy but you know who embraced this movie the aarp god bless him. movies for grown-ups god bless him. in wait for it Best movie for grown-ups who refuse to grow up. A, we need to bring back this category. Bring that back. Bring that back. B, we need to explain what this category means because I don't know what that means. <laughs> but it was Kill Bill Volume 1 was nominated. Didn't win. It lost to School of Rock and was also nominated against Finding Nemo.
2: Finding well, I guess that's the whole like adults are going to see a kids animated movie. Now I've seen everything I kind guess. of Pixar thing. Um That seems to me that's a category based in shame is what I'm going to say, and I don't like <laughs> I don't like categories based in shame. I'm glad the AARP maybe grew out of that. I maybe don't want them to bring that category back. I like when they let their freak flag. Fly. It's a it's good if they bring it back as a way to let their freak flag fly and not as a way yeah. to be like, I liked this movie, but I think this movie is for kids and dum-dums, so I maybe feel bad that I liked this movie. Um, I don't know. Other Oscar categories, though, that I would have nominated it in, how about editing? How about film editing? How about Adaparo Um, No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Best film That's editing, problem, I wh- mean... once again, won by Lord of the Rings, Return of the King nominees city of god a movie i don't love um cold mountain a movie that if there was any editing done in that movie i would be surprised um master and commander the far side of the world and seabiscuit (laughs) so i know that's not how editing works i'm making a joke about it being um long and unwieldy
1: you do kind of wonder like it's hard to maybe make a case for something like kill bill or like rally behind something like kill bill when it's, you're talking about an Oscar race where it's already a foregone conclusion, you know, that Lord of the Rings is going to win everything. So uh, it it makes total sense to me that all of the Oscar nominees that year are pretty boring when it's like, well, we know we're giving the Oscar in all of these categories to Lord of the Rings. That's fair. So, So it's,
2: a but lot of you know, boring
1: default logic.
2: Except like there are really four other nominees in all these categories, so there's no there's no real reason that they had to give Cold Mountain and Girl with the Pearl Earring and Last Samurai all these nominations. Like,
1: Especially when those are some pretty boring movies. I'm
2: though. saying shake it up. If you already know who if you already know, who, you already know who, you're gonna go heavy for Lord of the Rings, shake up the rest of it, I say. Come on. Give Lucy Lou that supporting actress nomination. Give Lucy Lou that supporting actress nomination. Who didn't need it? You know who didn't need it? I mean, I love her, but Marsha Gay Harden, um, Marsha.
1: You know, okay, this might. You know, this is nothing to do with Kill Bill, but we've never talked about this on Mike. I sent it to you because I sent it to a million people when we found out where it was. Marsha Gay Harden's <gasps> yes uh, house in the Catskills, in the Catskills, the guest can, house in the Catskills that you can. That's uh, on Airbnb, and in the comments, it's like main ha- something like main house host may be around to visit or something. Yes, and it's like
2: it's literally like Marsha Gay Harden may drop in for coffee. You okay. may see
1: Marsha Gay Harden on the trail with a glass of wine. And here's a dog. what I'll also like, say:
2: that place was not out of the realm of possibility for you, like gathering five friends together to rent for a weekend. Mm-hmm. and have Marsha Gay Harden maybe It'd drop It would be us
1: and three other gay people with binoculars like we we are armed it, no it would be us Christina Tucker and two other gay people armed and ready <laughs> all to, wearing for Marsha to all, make an appearance
2: all in Lee Krasner bob wigs <laughs> and just just uh, uh, perfectly in character yeah yeah we're we're doing it we're doing it Marsha Gay We'll all do a reading of God of Carnage on the lawn. One hundred percent, we will. Oh my god, tremendous, tremendous. We would invite her over to watch a movie. What movie would we watch with Marsha Gay Harden? It couldn't be, can't be a Marsha Gay Harden movie. But what movie do you think we she would like really appreciate? Uh, probably something like
1: super gay, but like gay activism like BPM or Pride. Oh
2: my god, let's watch Pride with Marsha Gay Harden. Harden. She would love it. She would absolutely love it. Oh my god, what a thrill. Okay, Um, what else do I... I just want to quickly go through, I think we got everything. The Vernita fight, that'd be about Square. Um, Oh, alright, just one last thing. And we can talk about it next week as well. There are a couple shots in this movie where Uma looks so much like Maya that it's like distracting. Like obviously like that's how mothers and daughters work. Like this is genetics, Joe. It is genetics, but you know what I mean. Like sometimes like the it's like every time you see an old movie with ingrid bergman and you're like oh the family resemblance between her and Isabella is so strong and that's how i feel the shot when after she kills buck in the doorway and she puts on the sunglasses and she just sort of peeks her head out the door and like looks around (laughs) she looks so much like maya it's crazy like it's it's really something else i don't know i'm pro maya hawk i don't know how you feel about maya hawk i am i'm maya hawk neutral okay I think it's because I watch... She has a
1: good scene in Asteroid City, but so does everybody in Asteroid City.
2: I genuinely have loved her on Stranger Things, I will say. And I know that's oh, not, a not a show that you watch. It. I know, I know. But I'm just saying, that's where a lot of my uh, appreciation for her comes from. Okay.
1: Uh, uh, why don't you explain the IMDb game to our listeners,
2: new and old? I suppose I shall. Every week. Every, every, every week. Hey,
1: baby.
2: Hey, baby. Every week we end our episodes with the IMDb game where we challenge each other with the name of an actor or actress, and we try to guess the top four titles that IMDb says they are most known for. If any of those titles are television, voice-only performances, or non-acting credits, we mention that up front. After two wrong guesses, we get the remaining title's release years as a clue, and if that is not enough, it just becomes a free-for-all of hints. That's
1: the IMDb game. Would you like to give or guess first, my friend?
2: I'm going to guess
1: first. Oh, okay. Uh insert Kill Bill Sirens here. <laughs> um, I did not go into the Tarantino filmography. Right. I did not go into Uma Thurman Co Star uh filmography. Right. I just went through some bills. Who is the first Bill that shows up when you type in Bill oh IMDB? It is Bill Skarsgard.
0: Ha.
2: Huh. Okay.
1: For you, I have
2: Bill Skarsgård. I thought you were going to give me like Bill Nunn or something like that, and it would have been so, so difficult. What if I gave you Bill Clinton? (laughs) Contact. Um, (laughs) I don't know anything else, but contact. Okay, so Bill Skarsgård. Any television? No television. He's so good in Castle Rock, is the thing. But no television. Fine. It Chapter 1. Correct. It Chapter 2? Correct. Okay. Um... The only Those terrifying so murderous clown with DSLs. Um, <laughs> you are going straight to hell. Just saying. Um, <laughs> Billy Bill Sarsgaard. What else? Not Sarsgaard. Skars- Sarsgaard, right. He Skars- is a brother Skars- not Skarsgard. to
1: Peter, but to Alexander. But to
2: Alexander. Yes. Um, Oh gosh, Atomic Blonde? Incorrect. Damn. Good movie. Yeah, good movie. Um. Oh, he's in the new John Wick, John Wick Chapter Four. Correct. I couldn't. I can't.
1: Maybe it's because I haven't seen those movies. But
2: I just wrote a review of the television show, which is why it's on my mind. Got okay, it, got it. Is he on the TV show? No, but I, that's why I've been sort of versing myself in the John Wickiverse uh, of late. All right, three out of four for Bill Scars Guard. Is he in like Dunkirk?
1: Is Dunkirk? I guess yes. In correct. Damn. All right. He is not in Dunkirk though. Should I count that?
2: Yeah, I, I, I. If it were me, I would count that.
1: All right, your year is twenty twenty two. So last year. So last year.
2: Post-Pennywise. Post-Pennywise. Bill Scarsgard Movies from last year. Post-Pennywise,
1: same genre.
2: Oh, horror from last year. Yes. Yes, what were the horror? He wasn't in... Um... Oh, wait, is he in Halloween Ends? Uh,
1: is he in it? No, it does not appear so. Okay. What do you, we can't talk about it? We can't talk about it. I, I still haven't
2: seen Halloween Ends.
1: I still haven't seen it. It's so fucking stupid. Maybe I'll, it's but it's shot really well. I'm gonna it try
2: and revive noise. my 31 horror movies in the month of October thing that I've been, that I always try to do. And that might be one of them because I do want to have to that watch book. Cure. I'm telling you. Okay. If I, if you can find it for me on streaming, I will, I, watch it. it's on Criterion Channel. I have to make sure that I subscribe to Criterion Channel, but I'm going to me. because they're adding a bunch of things for October. So yes, uh, I will do that. Anyway, Bill Skarsgård in a horror movie from 2022. Was it like a? This very- is a very popular horror movie. Oh God, Smile. No, it's another mouth focused movie. Um... There's not not some mouth stuff
1: in this movie.
2: <laughs> he plays the Fisher Price phone and Inc., right? That's the that's <laughs> that's the deal. It's 2023. I know. I'm I know. making a joke. Uh, what was popular in 2022 horror wise? God, recent years are the fucking worst. My mine... I will say you
1: definitely expect more of him in this movie oh so
2: he's like oh 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 it's barbarian it is barbarian he's good in that movie i like that movie he's yeah. good in that movie justin yeah. long's great in that movie i and don't Bill's think that that
1: movie fully works but i do I like think it. that that is a potential like classic horror movie it's a good in movie. terms of like this is a movie that people are going to be watching for a long time
2: it is i
1: agree with that i agree with that all right
2: all right Better at Bill Skarsgard than I thought I was gonna do. Okay. For you, I have decided to just give you everything that you want. You uh-huh. bitch so many times about me picking ones that are <laughs> out of your wheelhouse or whatnot. We're talking about Quentin Tarantino. We're talking about all his great films. I'm gonna give you Pam Greer, star oh. of Jackie Brown.
1: So interesting. Um, Foxy Brown. Yes. Coffee. Yes. Jackie Brown. Yes.
2: Do so you go four for and four? And there's
1: gotta be, there's gotta be something add in there. Uh,
2: is Palms one of them? No, not oh, Palms.
1: Oh, I almost got the perfect
2: score. Palms would be very funny.
1: Oh. Hmm, okay, so... Do I stick with something recent, though? Or is it one of the... older ones? No, I feel like Jackie Brown can't be the most recent thing there. That's just not how the algorithm works. And...
2: Holy smoke... Not Holy Smoke, although that's a good guess. Your year is 2001, so you were right that it's not... It's post-Jackie Brown. What was she in in 2001?
1: So 2001 is obviously post-Jackie Brown. She was in in some type of genre-y horror teen thing, but it's not like the faculty... I think disturbing Behavior is before then, but it seems like she. It, it is definitely that type of movie. I'm just trying to remember which one.
2: Oh, it's Jawbreaker. I knew Jawbreaker is definitely what you were thinking of, but that's not her known. That's not on her known for.
1: Damn it! Oh, Okay, it's no, what no, I would Jawbreaker have guessed to is before though. 2001.
2: Huh? It's what I would have guessed to though. No, I think Jawbreaker is like 99. Okay. Yeah, that's what I was saying.
1: Um, yeah. Okay. So it's after Jawbreaker. Huh. Yeah.
2: Am I in the right ballpark, though? You are in the right general ballpark. You're right in that it's... Teen
1: movie.
2: It's not teen. That's where you went astray. But okay. But it's a horror movie. It's a horror movie. With a very genre-friendly director...
1: Wes Craven.
2: No. Genre, but not horror genre? No, horror genre. He's okay. done other movies outside of horror, but he's, like, a very famous horror director.
1: Carpenter?
2: Yes. Uh,
1: John Carpenter's Vampire. No, John Carpenter, Ghost of Mars. Ghost of Mars, correct. they Oh, that's not cool. I know. I knew that the last one would be a bad. The Ghosts one. of it's Mars cast
2: though. It. I've never seen this movie, but it's Ice Cube. The grodiest cast that I definitely want to see though cuz it's Ice Cube, Natasha Henstridge, Pam Grier, Jason Statham, Clea Duval, Joanna Cassidy, um some other people, but like that's enough for me, man. Like give me Joanna Cassidy and Clea Duval in a in a horror movie and I'm in. I don't know. That's an interesting poster. That's the one character is this like ghost painted with like weird tribal tattoos on his face or whatever and he's a monster <laughs> and he's sort of like holding his hands up like that around the cast photo. Um I've never seen it. Maybe I should. All right. Good job on the Pam Greer. You went 3 for 3 very quickly and then Ghost of Mars was always going to was always going to trip you up. Yeah, I feel yeah, like Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, we'll be back next week with a um, another Chris, movie, Chris.
1: Let's just yeah, we're we're doing Kill Bill. Well, Kill,
2: doing Kill Bill, yeah,
1: I'm on okay. Too. We haven't mentioned this, but we're doing three Umas in a row because of Burnt last.
2: week. Oh fuck, I didn't even think about that. Wow, accidental three-peat. Yeah,
1: I know, I know. Uh, for now, though. That's our episode. If you want more This Had Oscar Buzz, you can check out the Tumblr at thishadoscarbuzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow us on Twitter at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz, on Instagram at this had Oscar buzz and on Patreon at patreon.com slash thishadoscarbuzz. Joe, where can the listeners find more of you to uh, come and reap their vengeance? <laughs>
2: uh, Twitter and letterboxed at Joe Reed, Reed spelled R-E-I-D. I am also on
1: Twitter and Letterboxd at Chris v. File. That's F-E-I-L. We would like to thank Taylor Cole for his theme music, Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork, Dave Gonzalez and Kevin Meebius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, like, and review us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, wherever else you get your podcasts. Five-star review in particular really helps us out with Apple Podcasts visibility. So tell us our daughter is still alive with a slew of new five-star reviews. That's all for this week, and we hope you'll be back next week for more Buzz and more Bill. Let's go ahead and